I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is the Classic Match Companion, and I am, of course, joined by Melly. Yes. And Stephen. Greetings, folks. And I am your host, Jamie. And Stephen, why don't you just tell people that might have not tuned in before, what is a match companion and what is this Classic Match Companion? Well, a match companion is when we, the 20-minute Tim's brethren, sit down to watch a game. We record our pre-match thoughts we come back at half time give you a wee bit of an update and then we get together back at half eh, full time to give an overview of how the game played out now how a classic match companion differs to that is that we get together and watch a game from the past could be from any era and we we do it the same we, we take it in as if we're watching it there and then we watch watch the game together we go away we record our thoughts at half time and again at full time the reason we've chosen this particular game, and we'll get yes. into it, is that it, is, um, it has been chosen by our patrons. It was voted. The system we have had in place recently is that we've been given patrons a choice. Yep. A good versus evil, if you will. So we're bringing back a, a favourable result from the past and pitching it against an outright disaster to see which one people would rather have us talk about. The previous time we did one of these, our patrons sadistically voted for the Art Media 5 Celtic Nil game. And we went back and we had to watch it and report on our findings. That was great fun. However, they've come through for us this time. They have swept aside any notion that they wanted us to talk about the Clyde defeat, because this is what it was up against. And today we're going to talk about Samaras Sunday from 2011. Melly, uh, how do you feel about that decision? Uh, I wanted people to choose the Clyde defeat for a number of reasons. Um, one, I just I'm a glutton for punishment. I like to see, I like to talk about the games that get a bit of needle, get me a bit angry. And secondly, any chance for me to celebrate Georgie Samaras, I'm really going to try and give it a body swerve. Uh, to be honest, the Clyde game would have uh, been better for me as well. I think Roy Keane's debut, of course, Dewey's yep, debut, Dewey, yep. and. An appearance from old Gary Goals Arbuckle, Stephen's brother as well <laughs> in there. So, and uh, I, I too struggle with Samaras for reasons. It, it pains me to say it, but he's not my favourite. So this is Samaras Sunday from January 2011. Um, and what I like to do when we do these classic match companions, Stephen, is cut to you to give us a bit of <laughs> cultural context of where we were at in 2011, because this doesn't seem like that long ago. And then I saw the Celtic players, then I saw the likes of James Forrest and uh, Fraser Forster, and I looked at their young faces and I thought, 
God, this is ages ago. <laughs> so um, put us in the picture culturally. Where were we at this time? The very height of culture at the time, 2nd of January 2011, of course. UK charts featured the likes of Firework by Katy Perry. It doesn't seem like that's that old. I was surprised at that. It's not a classic time for the charts, I have to say. That's probably the best thing. <laughs> so, uh, Forget You by controversial singer CeeLo Green was also oh, in the right. charts. Aye, aye. He's a little bit problematic these days. Won't bog us down in that. Go and Google it. <laughs> <laughs> there are no fewer than two songs in the top 30 named The Flood, weirdly. One by Take That at number seven and the other by Cheryl Cole at number 30. Sorry, oh, Shiz. Number one on the day was When We Collide by Matt Cardo, which was that really wishy-washy cover of Many of Horror, was it called? The Biffy Clyde oh, one, right, which I, I, think, I think must have still been the Christmas number one from a couple of weeks previously, because that's when X Factor was still at its peak. Movies, the game took place just days before the King's Speech and 127 Hours came out as well. If that was the Danny Boyle thing about the guy who cut off his own arm to escape mm. a, yes. a rock fall. <laughs> um, it was played just after as well. Fred the movie came out. Do you remember Fred the movie? No, it was Fred. It was uh, a movie starring, among others, John Cena and Pixie Lott. <laughs> no, no idea. No I'll, give you a, I'll give you a wee synopsis from Google. Fred Figglehorn, I'm laughing already, is in love with his dream girl, Judy, who lives next door. Kevin, the local bully, prevents Fred from seeing Judy until she moves out of town. Fred embarks on a quest to find her in the hope that his feelings will be reciprocated. Oh, I've just Googled it. This was an internet <laughs> yeah. guy, wasn't it? He was like an internet yeah, yeah, guy. Right. That's right. Yes. Aye. I'll just give you a wee, just a line, just a wee flavour from the IMD page about the film. If you like lengthy scenes of annoying voiced idiots screaming, make sure you view Fred the movie. Speaking of annoying voice idiot screaming, we're off to Ibrooks for this podcast, gentlemen. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to talk about another podcast there. Another <laughs> um, just, just to put you in the picture about how my, my mind is warped about how much time has passed here. If I say to you, Skyfall, the James Bond film, you think that's relatively recent, right? So Skyfall was yeah. only out, Sky was out, Skyfall was out less than a year after this game. Really? Aye. Goodness so, me. Right. Now go back and look at a picture of James Forrest from this game. He's a wee gremlin. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's, a, he's an absolute gremlin. Um, so Stephen, you've put us in the cultural context of 2011. I hope people feel like they're there now. Melly, why don't you put this game into context for us? Right, well this game was quite close to the SPFL record of Celtic beating Aberdeen 9-0. Remember that one, boys? An absolutely yes, yes, smashing classic. one. But following that 9-0 defeat of Aberdeen, Celtic then went on to draw their next three home games. So we drew one each with United, 2-2 two -two with Inverness Cali and one each with Kilmarnock. And in the Kilmarnock game, Gary Hooper was injured. So before this game and the lead up to it, we had uh, two home games. We beat St Johnston 2-0, which Mr James Flynn I didn't see either of the goals because they came in the last minute and you were too cold and made us leave the game. The only like game me. I had left early up to that point and we get back to the car and Selke had scored twice in injury time to win 2-0. It, it does sound like the, something I would do. It does sound yes, like me, to be honest does. with you. Well, this game was played in an unusually cold period of weather. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. That, that Kilmarnock game you've just mentioned, and that's the game I'm always talking about that yeah, I left early as well because because it was minus 12 or something like that. So, that, I mean, that feels like that feels like a long time ago as well. I've I've spoken about that so often in the podcast, the worst experience I've ever had at Celtic Park. 
Thank you, and, Stephen. Thanks uh, for backing me up. Just to make you sound more like a pussy, Stephen, it was actually minus five, according to Kerrydale Street, <laughs> so nowhere near minus <laughs> Oh, the, anyway, the, we, the source of all si- is that the meteorological society Kerrydale Street yeah aye, they yes. know they know um, so, so sorry beat, Melly we beat St Johnston 2-0 the goals came from Cha and Key but both of them would be heading off for the Asian Cup so would be unavailable for this game and before the at uh, the midweek before the Rangers game here we beat Motherwell 1-0 now this was interesting because in this game, me and you were at this actually, Stephen, and you were squealing because Scott Brown <laughs> got a red card in the last minute, a second bookable offence sent off, which meant he was obviously suspended for the Rangers game. And you were like, mm. how many old firm games has he been suspended for now when really it had only <laughs> been one? But the, it was a silly... <laughs> It was a silly challenge from Brown, considering we're winning 1-0 in the last minute, but uh, he got a second bookable uh, offence. But it wasn't a bad tackle, so it was a wrongful dismissal. But anyway, he was suspended. Olivier Capo was also injured. We had no Gary Hooper, no Sean Maloney, no Daryl Murphy, Scott Brown suspended, and Key and Cha away on international duty. And Freddie Lundberg had just signed for Celtic. He did. But had literally shot himself and had the run so he was unavailable for this game and Anthony Stokes was one of the worst performances I've ever seen in the game we beat Motherwell in the lead up to this so he was rightly dropped for the Rangers game. Stephen this was the season if uh, people can remember it this is the, the season we played an unprecedented seven old firm derbies as they were at the time oh yeah yeah so the overall record was Celtic won three we won two in the league and the Scottish Cup replay um, that was a game that the the shame game remember that one um, yes. there was two draws one in the final league match and one in the Scottish Cup fifth round and Rangers won the rest Celtic Melly were at one point ten points behind Rangers the league uh, in this season. I think we ended up finishing only one point behind Rangers. Yeah, well, going into this game, we were one point ahead of Rangers, but they had two games in hand because of all the postponements about the weather Stephen was talking about. So, going into this game, we really couldn't afford to lose because to go behind Rangers in the league and for them to have two point uh, two games in hand over us really would have put us in the back foot. And looking at the amount of injuries we had and the points we could have lost. It was a big, big game. Yeah, well this it was played on the 40th anniversary of the Ibrox disaster, and Billy McNeil led Celtic out. What I remember carrying a wreath in he remembrance, did, yeah. and and then he walked off alongside John Gregg. Obviously, big symbolism there. The two, arguably the two greatest captains of of either club. But it was, it, I mean, it's it's just going to be great to see the man going back into this. But I remember before this, the Huns they'd kind of whipped up a bit of a storm in the press ahead of this game, basically predicting that Celtic fans were going to ruin the minute silence. Before before they'd even attempted it, basically Celtic fans had been pinned or basically been fingered for ruining this minute silence that hadn't that hadn't yet taken place, which is a bit but a bit disgraceful. I mean, I suppose this is this is an opportunity to talk about this kind of thing at large. I mean, what do you think of attempting minute silences between these two teams? Now, I have to say just now that I'm I'm about to demonstrate that this thing was perfectly observed. But I th- see this day in this day and age, I feel like it has just become an exercise in grassing each other in. I, I think and right. I don't mean each other. I mean from Rangers' point of view. I think Rangers are desperate for minute silences to happen so that they can turn their phones on Celtic fans and pick up anything they they might 
be doing. I think it's just become an exercise in point scoring. I remember this was the one that they accused everyone of doing synchronised, orchestrated coughs Aye, during. Ridiculous. And, and, and it just didn't happen. But you know who done that, don't you? You know how that started. And it's no. a guy that we were discussing. That, that was Jim Trainer that put that in the Daily Record. So it was. I'm sure it was either Jim Trainer or Bill Leckie, one of those two guys who wrote in their paper about this orchestrated coffin. It was a lot of bloody nonsense. It started on Follow yeah. Follow and it ended up in the national newspaper. But I think you're right. Well, Jim Trainer, newspapers. Um, sorry, Rangers fans and, and Rangers as a club. They, they they do use this as an opportunity to try and show up Celtic fans. You know, they say let's yeah. have the minute silence. And they, I mean, the odd idiot will do whatever and to disrupt it. You can't. Can, you can't lasso 60,000 people and make make them do the right thing and then yeah. as soon as it happens as you say Stephen oh they done this they done that um, and it ruins the whole thing that is a, that is yeah. a minute silence it, it completely defeats the purpose of what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be mm. a tribute it's supposed to be a mark of respect and it just becomes very very petty I've got a couple of quotes from the newspapers back then though who in, in defence Tom English and the Scotsman at the time um, said I gather that a few of us in the media have been contacted by Rangers fans who are outraged, disgusted and generally appalled at the disgraceful behaviour of those Celtic fans who apparently showed wanton disrespect during Sunday's minute silence for the 66 victims of Stairway 13. Quite honestly, I watched the minute silence with my heart in my mouth and was mightily relieved when a contemplative hush fell over iBooks. It seems though the silence wasn't silent enough for some desperados among the Rangers support. <laughs> Strong stuff, yeah. Desperados are very 2011 slur into it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't hear that anymore. The problem with minute silences is that when they're taking place, not everybody's in the stadium. So any that I have been mm. at a game for, it's usually any murmurs or any noise is from people coming in the turnstiles and walking to their seats that obviously they hear silence, but they're talking and that's what you hear because the rest of the place is silent. Obviously, there is people that try to ruin it, but usually when I hear it, that's the, the main noise mm, you'd hear. Yeah. I've got another quote this time from the aforementioned Jim Trainer, who said in the Daily Record at the time, The silence spoke volumes, and it talked well of the old firm. Yesterday could have been another embarrassing episode in the story of our little country, but for once, the correct image was beamed from iBrooks and around the world. This time, the old firm was shown in a brighter, much more respectable light. It was 40 years ago to the day when 66 supporters lost their lives on Stairway 13 of Rangers Ground, and there were fears a minute of silence to remember and honour the dead might be disrupted. It was impeccably observed. It would have taken only one voice, one idiot to call out and others might have reacted. There would have been a chain reaction which would have shamed all of us, but there was profound silence. Not oh, my so words, the words of Jim Trainer. Yeah, oh, that was, yeah. Okay, so uh, I wrongly fingered Jim Trainer there. Um, <laughs> terrible, terrible image. So obviously it wasn't Jim Trainer. It must have been the other one. Some Scottish hack. Yeah. Um, so this game we're obviously talking about here is Celtic 2, Rangers nil from 2011, otherwise dubbed as Samaras Sunday because the star of the show that day was none other than Georgie Samaras. Um, and I think now in the podcast is as good an opportunity as... Well, I'm going to give you, frankly, um, to put you to put forward your thoughts on the man himself, Georgi Samaras, um, Greek international striker, arrived at Celtic from Manchester City. Um, he was sort of maligned at Manchester City, wasn't he, Stephen? They, they yeah. spent something like six million pounds on him, uh, which is zero zero money these days to the club like Manchester mm. City. But at the time, Manchester City were a very very different animal. Stuart Pearce was in charge, I believe, um, and they were really struggling. I don't know if they went down that year, but they were there or thereabouts. Um, they were really struggling and a lot of the blame started to turn on the likes of Samaras whose, quote, high transfer fee wasn't being paid back. 
So we ended up getting him on loan. Well, he was one of those guys that there are so many examples of him who do really well in the Eredivisie in the Netherlands, and then the the goals just simply don't translate to English football. There have been countless examples: Matea Kesman and Afonso Alves, mm. um, Vincent Janssen uh, of Swords, oh. um, who, who was a complete and outright flop. Obviously, uh, Salmon asked him over from Heerenveen, I, I believe it was at the time, and just didn't work out at City at all. So Celtic managed to get him on loan. I think he scored in his debut, didn't he? A kind of solo goal against Kilmarnock. Yeah, it was a good goal. Well, we'd signed him on loan in the January. He'd signed in the summer, which was Strachan's last season. He signed had in the, the 2008, mo- the 2008 January he signed on loan initially, yeah. didn't he? And then we had Mowbray come in, disaster, then Lennon come in. And I remember Lennon saying he's calling him an enigma. He didn't know what to do with him. He's either going to keep him in a job or get him sacked. Now, That's right. going into this game... We obviously had Hooper injured, Capo injured, Daryl Murphy injured, and then Lundberg can't play because he's got the shits. We've got Stokes in the previous game who was absolutely terrible. So Neil Lennon had a wee phone call to Gordon Strachan and said, do you think Samaras could do it up front as a lone striker? And Strachan said, yeah, I believe he could. Crazy chat. Now, going into this game at Ibrox, <laughs> where you need to, you basically cannot lose the game. And your main striker up front has a total of zero league goals this season. Mm. It's not looking good, is it? Well, Celtic hadn't won a New Year old firm game at Ibrox in over 25 years at this point. So they are fighting against the tide. And I don't think, at this point, I don't think Celtic had won at Ibrox at all since December 2008, two years Prior to that, that was the one Scott McDonald scored the only goal. Oh, you remember yes. the um, can he hold off Broadfoot? Yes, he can. Oh, that was an absolute was screamer. Yeah, cracker. Um, just on Samaras himself, though, I, I'm treating this this podcast as a wee opportunity to go back and possibly revise my overall opinion of him because I'm I'm kind of like you guys. I don't really think an awful lot of him. I think he was there a long time, and for the most part, playing wise. I think he was a, a bit of a disappointment. I think he, he had a great personality and a very popular figure. Well, he, he divided opinion among the fans, but I think the players loved him. I think managers seemed to really like him as well. And obviously, um, when he left, he spoke really well of the club. He had the the links with Wee Jay and all that. It was, it was all very nice with Aaron Samaras, but I think as a player, he disappointed in in huge measures I, well, I think, i'm just I think, i'm taking this as an opportunity to go back and actually watch him play for a 90 minutes what he's what he's most remembered for and maybe take him take a different approach my, my feelings of samaras are a bit like you Stephen. i think he's he's a bit of a cult figure primarily probably because of this game but you know he scored he scored two in this game but he got three all season in 22 league games in this season <laughs> which Melly, you're laughing it's really bad but Melly, if i was to say to you samaras against rangers what comes to mind and be truthful? Was it this game or is it the penalty miss later on this season? It's the penalty miss later on and this t- season because I will <laughs> never forgive him for that. Now, fair enough, he, he does his job here, but the penalty miss, that would have put us ahead in the league and to take the ball off Chris Commons, who had been banging in penalties. Unbelievable. Left, right and centre since he came to the club and Samaras to take it and put it in the same place he put this one, except nowhere near as good, was unforgivable. If we'd have won that game 1-0 at Ibrox, we would have won the league that year, hands down. There's no no two ways about it. And for this guy, I, he must have got one goal between these goals and that penalty at Ibrox. Pathetic. 
Samaras did start this game, Melly, you're quite right. Um, the lineup for Celtic that day, if you want to run through it for us. Okay, it's patchwork, boys, but I'll head for it anyway. And you can talk about a wee Christmas miracle that we won it here, judging by this lineup. So, in goal, the big man Fraser Foster at the back, Mark Wilson, Daniel Mistorovic, Thomas Ronya, and Emilio Azagiri. James Forrest, Joel Edley, Biram Kyle, Chuckles Mulgrew, Paddy McCourt and Georgia Samras on the bench for Celtic. Game changers. Zaluska, Efran Juarez, Joss Hoyveld, Richie Towle, Niall McGinn, Anthony Stokes and Mark Crossass. Wow. Wow. <laughs> let me talk about let me talk about this lineup for a start. This lineup is a mixture of the sublime and the ridiculous. It, you know, Fraser Foster, sublime. As a gate at this time, sublime. Mastorovic, ridiculous. Mark Wilson, somewhere in between. Charlie Mulgrew, be still my beating heart. Uh, Thomas Ronya, <laughs> ridiculous. Joe Ledley, sublime. Paddy McCourt started this game, Stephen. The guy yeah. could run the length of himself at any yeah. point during the Celtic era. Plays 90 minutes in this game. In he the plays 90 position. minutes. Uh, Beram Kayal is a player I always liked. Uh, and James Forrest, as we've discussed, started this game. Um, he looks like a 12-year-old boy. Uh, Stephen, what are your thoughts on this lineup? Sublime? Ridiculous? What are we looking at here? Well, Melly's absolutely right. It is patchwork because, of, as he's already mentioned, no Scott Brown, no Sean Maloney, leading to even... I mean, those were the first and second choice captains, so Mistorovic is wearing the armband for this somewhat implausibly as well. Um, <laughs> Jesus, is he? I didn't realise that. I didn't know that. The idea that we're going into this game with Samaras up front on his own for a start, obviously we weren't to know what was going to come today, but Paddy McCourt just playing off him. Both teams are playing a kind of 4-1-1 system with, with a kind of withdrawn striker and Paddy McCourt away to Ibrox. It's, it's absolutely amazing to think back. I'd actually... When I, w- I looked at the Rangers lineup as well, which we'll come on to, I'd actually started making a wee note about how, you know, we're always joking about Walter Smith loves a defender in midfield, and then Charlie Mulgrew rocks up on left midfield for Celtic left as well. <laughs> see, when yeah. see, when see when you're as good a player as that, when you're as classy as a classy as a player <laughs> as that, you can, you, can play, you can play anywhere. I remember being gutted that Freddie Lundberg, he, he signed, what, two days before it, wasn't it, Melly, you mentioned yeah. earlier? Um, I remember being gutted that he couldn't be pitched straight in because I was still fully bought into the idea that Freddie Lundberg was Freddie Lundberg. Like, wow, what a signing. But we'd signed him from, what was it, Chicago Fire, I think, yes. back in the day. Um, I, I was really by West forward. Ham as well, hadn't he? Yeah, that's right. I, I was really looking forward to, to seeing him being pitched straight in, the, the hero of iBooks, but as you as you mentioned, they had a virus and couldn't make it. Uh, but it's quite quite the lineup indeed. Uh, one thing about Paddy McCourt is and everybody absolutely loves Paddy McCourt, but he was he was barely a professional footballer. I, I might be being mean to Paddy McCourt here and uh, you know, that's pretty cruel on the guy. You know, he did he was a terrific player at times and he forced out a career, but he was one of these players Celtic that, that turns up at Celtic, Stephen. Kind of, I kind of put him in the mould as not really a project. You know, we sort of got him from Derry City. Yeah. He was, you know, Celtic are trying to compete at a much higher level than that. His career after Celtic more or less fizzled out. It's crazy looking back that we started him in such a high-pressure game at Ibrox Park because famously he was a bit part player for us, wasn't he? Yeah, for the most part. I think my overall view on Paddy McCourt is he's the type of guy he's the type of player that I normally would have absolutely loved a dribbler everybody loves that about football I think but I think Paddy McCourt he suffers from the misfortune of I think being born in the wrong decade 
See if he was yeah. a 90s player, he would have been absolutely phenomenal. See the likes of you, like Paul Merson and Matt Letizia and all that, the guys who, yeah, who had a, a huge amount of natural ability but weren't the most athletic. But that didn't really matter because back then, you know, there was a drinking culture. There was people weren't as fit as they were today. That they just weren't. I think Paddy McCourt was just he was a kind of fish out of water in that regard. I think he would have been brilliant if he'd just been a player a wee bit earlier. I think right at this point, 2011, I think football was, was changing a huge amount and he, he simply just wasn't fit enough for the, the rigours of this kind of level of football. So let's talk about the Rangers team. This was a Rangers team managed by Walter Smith, assistant manager Alan McCoist. And, and if there's one word that sums up this Rangers team, <laughs> oh, and Stephen's laughing because he knows what's coming, <laughs> it's Huns. <laughs> just this is just so hunnish. I miss part of me misses the vitriol and the nastiness of these ties, and this game sums it up. Let me run through the Rangers team for you. Ready? McGregor, Hun, uh, Weir, Hun, Papach, Ricky Foster, pathetic, pathetic guy. Um, but Kyle Lafferty, Hun, Whitaker, Hun, Bugera. Now the guy obviously wasn't born a Hun, but when he joined them, he really, really became a Hun. Lee McCulloch, Hun, Davis, Hun, Weiss. Vladimir Weiss is from somewhere in Russia or something. How he became a hun, I will never know. (laughs) Slovakia, hun. Jamie Ness, hun. Kyle Hutton, hun. And Kenny Miller. This was the season that, this is the season of Kenny Miller's life, wasn't it? I think this is the one he got like Mm. 21 goals or something. This is after he played for us. He comes back and joins Rangers for the second time. Um, And on the bench, Neil Alexander, Andy Webster, John Fleck, Kyle Lafferty, James Beattie. Um, who I'd completely forgot played for Rangers but um, yeah. ex-Everton Sheffield United Stoke City guy Salim Kerkar and the aforementioned Kyle Hutton that is Stephen a team of Huns it sure is uh, you'd struggle <laughs> you'd have to go back to the, the kind of days of like Terry Butcher and Stuart McCall and Richard Goff and all that to find a hunnier lineup than that I mean I, I remember talking recently not that recently I remember talking to a Hun about Paul Le Guin and I was I was kind of talking to him along the lines of it. You know how even Celtic managers, even the flop managers, you can at least point to somebody and say, "Well, at least they signed him." Yeah. You know, John Barnes signed Petrov, and you know Tony Mowbray signed at least Robbie Keane. He threw some stuff at the wall. And I, I was, did, did Paul Gwyn do any of that? His example was Papich. He actually signed Papich, who turned out mm-hmm. to be quite a good player mm-hmm. for them. And he's he's in this lineup. He's still hanging around from from that era. He must be the only one though, because I mean, some of Le Guin's signings must have been long gone by then. But Vladimir Vice, I remember he was a sort of a sort of mini Nacho Novo, wasn't he? But without yeah. the without the performance level, he didn't really contribute an awful lot, other than becoming a, a sort of mascot for them I, I think I had a look at his career before we were sat down to do this and he's really not done anything at all he was another one who I think he was on loan from Man City to Rangers bounced around a few uh, different leagues and then ended up in Qatar for six years where he still finds himself so a bit of a waste I'm sure he's done it alright out of it but he hasn't really done anything with himself it, Vladimir Weiss was one of these ones who took to Twitter quite early wasn't it to basically yeah. bum up the Rangers fans persistently yeah. WTP Actually, just as I mentioned, Twitter, this was this was kind of as Twitter was reaching its peak for Scottish football and stuff like that. And I don't know if you remember, this was about the time that Neil Lennon had his own Twitter account, his <laughs> own his own website. Um, remember, he was like uh, he had his own calendar. Remember, remember at official Neil. Remember, he used to be replying to people on Twitter all the time. This was um, uh, DMs. This was the uh, DMs. I. This was the absolute heyday of Neil Lennon as Celtic manager and. 
Another thing that struck me was, and I, you know, it's a, a point I've made a couple of times in this podcast is, but looking back, how young is Neil Lennon here? I didn't, I, I mm. didn't appreciate it at, at the time, but you're looking back and Neil Lennon is a young, young manager at this time, Melly. Yeah, well, it is his first full season in the job after taking over uh, towards the end of the previous season for Mowbray. He's sort of patching this team together. It wasn't until Chris Commons comes in that we sort of get a settled team in the January and start to go on a bit of a run here. The Huns are, as you say, peak Huns, usual from them in our uh, old firm game, which we can call it at this point. Uh, six defenders sprinkled about the place, as usual. <laughs> defenders in midfield and that. And also, this is peak Hunnery, but this is Rangers' last full year as a club. Now, obviously, they go into liquidation in 2012 <laughs> yeah, and right. go under. And all these Huns scarper as quick as they can and <laughs> leave them for nothing. <laughs> he absolutely did. What is it they say about deserting a, a sinking ship? Yeah. <laughs> So those who are not familiar with the classic match companion, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down now, having discussed the preamble to the game, and we're going to enjoy the first half. We're going to come back, we're going to give you our first half thoughts, we're going to watch the second half and give you the full-time thoughts. So, lads, shall we retire and take in the first half of this game from 2011? Absolutely. Let's, let's do it. So basically nothing happened there, did it? First half, absolutely, absolutely nothing happened. Um, and I think, but I think that was the approach because you've got to remember this was, this was Walter Smith's Rangers. This is, Melly, hmm. you said it, I think Rangers were a point ahead at the league at this point. Yeah, we, we were a point ahead. They, we were a point ahead. In hand. This is what Rangers want. They just, Walter Smith, it was so pragmatic as a manager. He just wanted to suck the life out of the game and try and snatch us on the break. That's presumably why I had Kenny Miller up front. Um, you know, Walter Smith, he wanted to snuff this match out. I'm looking at my notes. Basically nothing happened in the first half. It doesn't make for good podcasting, but the wider context of the game is worth discussing. There was one or two incidents worth talking about, but I think the game very much went the way that Rangers wanted it to go because this is what they like to do. They like to just snatch a win against us, take the point. Whatever happened, you take the points. Melly? Well, my last note, I've got two lines here for this uh, first half and the last uh, the last bit I've wrote is Celtic, no shots and goal. Rangers won and no keeper has made a save. Now, Rangers did nearly take a lead in the first half. A corner was whipped in. Big elbows, McCulloch gets a header on it to the far post, but Izagiri's on the far post and gets a head to it that touches on at the bar. And then in the, around the 22nd minute, McCulloch's involved again, but this time he gets a last-ditch tackle in on James Forrest before he can get a shot away. That's it, boys. That is all she wrote. Yeah, I wondered if um, Rogner had actually maybe got a touch onto that chance as well. It's quite hard to tell, but the, uh, you're right, McCulloch was in about it. That was quite early on, wasn't it? Um, that was really, the, by far and away, the biggest chance of the half. Uh, there was a couple of wild efforts from distance from the aforementioned wee guy Vladimir Weiss and <laughs> McCulloch but one one thing I noticed in the first half as well there was a there was a real cop out like refereeing decision like Mulgrew and Bouguera get booked they both get booked after Mulgrew had been brought down and they, they kind of squared off and Bouguera did a wee kind of tiny grab of Mulgrew's face sort of thing and then Mulgrew they both get booked for it he did that typical thing where the easiest thing for the ref is to just walk up and book both players without in that way you don't have to make a decision about it you don't have to blame one or the other you know both sides of the same coin and all that sort of stuff um, that was a, a bit of a cop out but you got to remember this was this was at the t this was the season where 
of honest mistakes. Remember that the honest mistakes. This was the <laughs> of course, this was when yeah. Rangers were starting to go out of business and things were starting to look terrible for them. This is I'm sure is this not the season of the referee strike? It's definitely the season of Doogie Doogie. Yeah, it is. I'm sure it is. Do, yeah, Doogie Doogie was the October of this year. The referee strike was later on this year. So I, I watch these games and any hint of a referee. Anytime I think something's wrong with a referee and I don't like it, I go cheat. That that's just all I think. <laughs> I just think <laughs> cheating. Definitely cheating. Cheating to stop Rangers going out of business because this is this was where it all started to unravel for them, as Melly said. This was their last complete year as a football club. So That's this right. was this was the whole thing. Bouguera was another one who, who seemed to join Rangers and I hated him. I absolutely yeah. hated him as a defender. He seemed to get away with absolute murder. Now, not in particular in this game, but I'm sure we all previous remember. season. Yeah, the previous season, the the wee wink and the the Robbie Keane game, Bouguera seemed to get away with that sort of thing all the time, didn't he? The Robbie Keane game being that he just relentlessly fouled him the entire yeah, game, yeah, basically yeah. ruined Robbie Keane's only only appearance there and, and get away with it time and again. And of course, there was his involvement with the shame game and there's the famous picture of him and Duff walking out of Hamden, right, I think it is, aye, with aye. all smiles after being basically let off with it and said they were blamed for everything. Um, I It was... He suited the hands down to the ground. He was he was absolutely tailor made for them. I remember what he conjures up is I remember there was a series of Rangers players who they would sign and just be hyped up to the absolute hilt because Rangers are trying to sell players down down south. It's the only real way that they've got to to try and keep afloat. So they would sign these players and just hype them up to the absolute gills yeah. in the hope that an English team would come in for them. Bouguera was good he was a good defender a pretty solid I remember him playing in a World Cup or something at one point as well for Algeria he was a solid enough defender but the the way they went on about him in this country was absolutely wild they wanted him to be the other boom song didn't they they wanted another yeah. boom song out of him that's a perfect example yeah absolutely um, boom song was the archetypal example of that they signed them and then sold them one window later to Newcastle wasn't it when Graeme yeah. Soonis was involved what what a shock there nothing dodgy there Gra- no Graeme Soonis did a bit of a bit of a side gig in this didn't he remember he used to sign <laughs> players from Rangers aye, quite a bit so he did aye, so he did <laughs> yeah this was peak I mean yeah this was this was peak Hunnery for me you know as you say Stephen going back to the likes of um, Terry Butcher and all that when we were much younger but at this time the Hunnery was absolutely ferocious um, yeah Speaking of Huns, another thing that we don't get now is the whole stand. You know, this was before the reduced allocation yeah. um, and there was a lot of Huns in this ground, Stephen. Yeah, there were. But having said that, I would actually, having watched that first half, it doesn't sound like a Rangers home game because they're, they're not singing. I, mean, I think they took the, the minute silence. They were so desperate to, to fail. I think they took that to extremes and basically just sat there quiet for the entire first half. You mean uh, for a 45-minute silence? Yeah, yeah. The Celtic fans at one point during that half were singing the the old favourite "What a Shady Home Support" because they, <laughs> they weren't really doing anything. At times in that first half, it sounded like a Celtic home game. So after an uneventful first half, the way Walter Smith liked it, um, we should retire and watch the second half. Yeah, well, hopefully, Let's... hopefully it gets it picks up a bit. Business has picked up. Uh, that, that's what they say. Business has picked up. Celtic 2, Rangers 0. And the reason this is called Samaras Sunday, well, let, let's talk about that second half performance from Celtic. I had so much joy, Stephen, watching this yeah. back. <laughs> oh, it was, it was excellent. And obviously, we all, we all know what happened. The reason we, we would have picked this game is because we know it's a joyous occasion uh, on the day for Celtic. But 
very, very enjoyable second half indeed. It was a proper old-fashioned, very much of its era old firm game because it was all tense. It was a lot of long balls. Do you know what? Yeah. Before we go in, I'd actually think that See, Mastorovic and Rogner, they were actually pretty good in that yeah, second half as well because they were called into action. Nothing spectacular. We're not talking like, we're not talking Paolo Maldini here or Real Ferdinand. We're, it's functional, but that's exactly what they've been called upon to do. They're heading balls clear. They're, they're getting things out of that box and it, it worked very well. But Samaras, who I'm sure we're, we're obviously going to talk about, brilliant in this game. Absolutely brilliant. It's no, yeah. it's no surprise to see that because, as we know, it's been called Samaras Sunday, but Away from the goals, which again we'll talk about, his his performance was was excellent. You mentioned Bugera. Samaras gives as good as he gets in this as well. He, he is winning balls in the air against the much more fancied Bugera. You wouldn't really fancy Samaras in a physical encounter at all, but he does does really well in this. And this is why I this is why I don't like Samaras. Because <laughs> yeah. there have been there, there have been plenty of players that have come to Celtic and just not done it. And I don't really have any particularly strong feelings towards them. You know, guys like, you know, even guys like Niall McGinn, who made a lot of appearances for Celtic or a medium amount of appearances for Celtic, but they just clearly didn't have the talent. And this is what irks me so much about Samaras. He clearly did have the, because latter day Samaras, he started to come into his own a wee bit towards the end of his Celtic career. He started to become a better player. He had things like this in his locker, but he just didn't show up. Yeah, well, not in this game, but I know exactly what you mean. He was just, I think that's everybody's frustration with him because like on this game uh, today, it's a 10 out of 10. The following week, it's 4 or 5 out of 10 against Inverness at home. It's just, there was no in between with Samaras. It was either all or nothing. And when you look back at it, that's probably what his career was like. And looking back at this game... It was a pretty terrible game, to be honest, quality-wise. As you said, Stephen, there was a lot of long balls. The biggest cheers from the Rangers fans was down to tackles. When you look at Celtic, as you said, Rogda and Mistorovic just cleared everything that came near them. Uh, Joe Ledley and Biram Kayal in centre mid just broke down everything. Celtic mm-hmm. just stayed compact and tried to give the ball to McCourt, Forrest, or play it long to Samaras to run into the channels. But that's what we had to do because we had so many players out injured and the rest of the team just stayed compact. It was a bit of a chess game because that's exactly what Rangers were doing. And Celtic, after watching it, Celtic just dropped into their half and got into those two banks of four. And Rangers didn't know how to break it down because that's exactly what they do. And they just had no answer for it because Fraser Foster, for this sort of game when you're up your backs to the wall, he didn't really have many saves to make at all. Unusually, and I can't... Can you remember if it was a thing they had on any of you to remember um, if it was a thing they had on at Sky at this point where they cut to Ali McCoist, an interview with Ali McCoist in the tunnel as the match was going on? It was around the 47th minute mark, so the only way I can see that happening is he was going for a shite at half time. <laughs> they accosted him on his way back to the bathroom. Um, but it's I a didn't... very weird quirk of the of the coverage though, isn't it? It's so jarring. Right. The, 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 to anyone who hasn't seen it, I know exactly what you're talking about. They go to a split screen. So the, yeah. the action is on the, the left side of the screen. And for some bizarre reason, they're talking to McCoist. He's given, well, what we've done, he's given his half-time thoughts during the second. I know Sky did a lot of things back then. Do you, you can remember the, the days of the player cam and all that thing? They, they did kind Fan of... Zone. Yeah, they did innovate a lot of things that didn't stick, let's face it. But yeah. you can't knock them for creativity, but that that was just bizarre. But as part of that interview, they were talking to McCoy, and were like, you know, 
what, what did you? What did Walter say at half time? What's the instructions going out to the players? And McCoy says more of the same. And after watching the first <laughs> half, I thought, I fucking bet you did. I, I, I bet you did. I bet that's what you said. Just smother the life out of the game and see if we can snatch something with ten minutes ago. The true Hun way. Um, <laughs> a much better second half, though, wasn't it, Melly? Yeah, well, Celtic came out and had the first chance of the half. We had a long ball flicked on by Sam and asked to Paddy McCourt, who went through, but he sort of dragged his shot wide. And then there's not much happens between half time and the 60th minute. And then it absolutely springs into life. Now, obviously, this goal is a fan favourite because it's a goal at Ibrooks, but it's particularly one of my. Well, I love goals at Ibrooks, but I love it when a hun makes a mistake, especially mm-hmm. a crap one. So there's a hun here who passes the ball straight to Joe Ledley. Joe Ledley takes a touch and plays a long ball over Samras. We all know it. It's an absolute great goal. But that hun is Ricky Foster. Terrible. He was absolutely pish. He was he did so bad. absolutely nothing in this game. Gives away the goal and then gets subbed for Kyle Laffer. It is a shocking performance from him. And I absolutely loved every second of it. But as I said, <laughs> the ball gets played in. It's a shocking pass. He tries to play it into Vladimir Vice and Ledley's standing in front of him. Ledley takes a touch and plays this quick ball right down the channel. An absolute peach ball. Then another hun, Alan McGregor, comes out and commits himself. Absolutely mental decision. Davey Weir is on a stretcher by the time the ball goes in. He can't <laughs> hack it. Figuera's not got a clue where Samaras is. He just rounds the keeper and puts it away. And I'm almost certain, in fact, we did, we watched this up at your house, Jamie. When Samaras went round that keeper, I remember after it sent news, I fully expected him to miss that goal when he, when he went round the keeper. Order here though the, the pass that Ricky Foster misses is is an eight yard pass to Vladimir Weiss. <laughs> it's, it's it's all of eight yards and he passes it directly to Joe Ledley. Joe Ledley does an absolutely sensational job of taking one touch, Stephen, and sends Samaras on his way. And the second point of order that I need to mention here is McGregor did come for it, but he attempts to tackle Samaras about knee height. You know, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's oh. an absolutely wild attempt at trying to get this ball. Many years later, McGregor, I have described him on the podcast as a guy who seems to be working through some shit oh. on the pitch. And and it was no different then. He seems that he's a very, very angry individual. And he just he just lost the plot in this one. He just comes running out and 
it doesn't even clean Samaras out. It just jumps past them. And it's interesting you say about him missing. See, even watching this back, every time I see this goal, I still think he's going to miss. It's just, yeah. it's just one of those weird feelings. I just, um, just, but on Foster, before we move away from him, I would actually brand him. I'm going to do it. I'm going to wheel it out. Beleaguered. Ricky Foster was be- <laughs> beleaguered in this game. As you say, Melly get whipped off, but not before he had gifted Celtic another chance just after this. He passed it straight to Mulgrew. You see, he kind of follows the ball out to the corner and just passes it straight to Mulgrew past Bulgera. Mulgrew yeah. pings in a lovely ball to the back post and uh, Forrest comes in and just slides just past it. So it could have cost him two goals before he eventually gets whipped off for Lafferty. Mulgrew, before, don't get a chance to say it as well, thought he was really good in this game. He was, um, hey. Some of his set pieces. He's good in absolutely every game. His set pieces, like, we, we're now many years on from this game and we're often complain about the the set pieces and corners and free kicks from deep and all that but we watch him will grow may not have been the perfect player but see when a guy's got a talent like that and it it's not in a team it really shows up and I just thought oh imagine we had balls like that going in for like Dembele or whatever or whatever it was I think he it was, it most certainly was good at that. Watching, as you're saying about Mulgrew and on the other side, Forrest, it was two guys. You don't really see it as much. Two guys on their natural sides, on their natural foot. So it was, as that one you spoke about, it's just one touch and get the ball in. James Forrest put a couple of decent balls across. And I was thinking about Neil Lennon's Celtic now that if he's going to buy a striker, he's probably going to want a physical one because see if we had a Gary Hooper in this game it was just early balls in that guys like Hooper would have eaten up all day but we just didn't have the player to do that now Samaras obviously does play well in this game but see when he scores as well it's it's a good celebration but the guys he celebrates with Hoyveld I noticed that myself game changers it's a real real who's that of the the (laughs) last Celtic decade isn't it the training gear looks good though I like that training gear yeah when they they popped up in the background I thought oh that looks quite good Uh, Samaras was obviously booked for his celebration because he jumps into the crowd as well so standard so the second goal is is what you're probably wanting to call peak Samaras you know if you were to describe a Georgie Samaras run or goal it's the second goal not so much the penalty, but that picking the ball up in our half, the massive big striding run past Jamie Ness, directly into the box run, directly at Majid Bagheera, who puts in... A, it, all he does is fill Samaras. That's all he does. He just yeah. fills Samaras. And it's so blatant that, you know, they call me paranoid again, right? But it's so blatant that this is a fill from a player who thinks, I'll get away with this. Because it's so blatant. Um, he just sticks a leg out, wipes Samaras out of the game completely, uh, didn't he get booked for it, by the way? Um, and then it's penalty time, Melly. Yeah, it's uh, great. It's, uh, so the ball comes in, Mistorovic clears, it drops to Forrest, who plays Samaras down the right. He just he goes to go past Ness, stops, and then just a change of pace, goes past him, cuts inside, and he takes a... He looks as if he's going to take a touch with his right foot, but quickly just takes a touch with his left foot past Baguera. It's absolutely tremendous feat. And I think the only reason it's not a booking is because it's just inside the box and Samaras 
maybe isn't getting a shot away instantly, but he could easily get a second booking. But it was Craig Thompson was the referee, and as soon as he points to the spot, he does this mad run past the penalty spot where his knees go really high. It's, he looks pretty <laughs> weird, man. Like a, like a primary school PE teacher. <laughs> yeah, he's exactly what it's like. See, just after you mentioned Craig Thompson, I actually thought he was good in this game. I, I actually thought he had a good game because Rangers ended up some up to some stuff and they didn't really want any part of it. They were going eventually going down for penalties when there was one, if you remember... Which player would be good down diving for penalties, Stephen? Oh, it was uh, Lafferty that definitely <laughs> oh, went down for yeah. one. Um, Imagine my shock. There, there was another one as well where he and Wilson go up to challenge for in the air and it comes off Wilson's head and Lafferty's arm and Lafferty's claiming for a penalty, but Thompson's right on top of it. He doesn't. He doesn't want to hear any of it. There, I just I wanted to say just at the, the start. We mentioned the crowd, um, but at the start of the f- second half, the Celtic fans are singing Alan McGregor. We know she said no. Again, <laughs> not going to bring it up. Just go have a wee and Google that as well. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely not going to bring up. <laughs> um, so the penalty itself. If there's oh. one player that you don't want to step up and hit a penalty, it's someone as yellow-bellied as Georgie Samaras. <laughs> However, this is a peach. Yep, yeah, and you look at the lineup as well. Who else is going to take it? Charlie Mulgrew. Uh, probably, yeah, I was just about to say, the only other one is Chuckles Mulgrew, but don't like a lefty. But this is the perfect penalty. And Davy Proven, as he's commentating, says it as well. McGregor goes the right way, but it just it doesn't hit the post, but it just hits the side netting after the post. So McGregor has absolutely no chance. It's an absolute smashing penalty. But he couldn't do that in the next game, but 2 0, game set and match. where he was going to put it his run up oh. and his, his strike was such that it, it was obvious he was going to put it there and, and McGregor does guess the right way of course because that's where he's going to put it but it was hit so well that it didn't matter and he, he struck it right into the, the, the side netting bit as you say so it was it was an excellent penalty but I think it was clear from that and from the other example that we've mentioned that's all he had when it came to penalties he was just going to go up and side foot it as hard as he could into that that corner and it came back to bite us in the future 
So that was it. Samaras penalty, 2 0, game set and match. But there was another few notable incidents in the second half, wasn't there? Really worth talking about before we wrap up. Yeah, Rangers had a couple of chances. They did a corner that went to the back post and it fell to Papach. His shot went wide. Uh, Whitaker had a left footed cross in that uh, Bouguera was still up from a corner. He catches it on the volley, but he blazes it over. And then they had the, obviously the penalty appeal when. The Lafferty dive and the handball he appealed for, he got booked for protesting about the handball one. But my favourite moment after the second goal is Vladimir Weiss, who I can't believe managed to stay on that pitch for 90 minutes because <laughs> he was absolute he was dog meat, man. He was chopped down cynically by Mark Wilson and I thought... <laughs> Well done, mate. I thought you were an absolute pussy, but that was absolutely tremendous, Wilson. Can I give you my favourite moment of the second half? Go for it. Kenny Miller <laughs> shows all of his experience. He showed all of his experience by wasting some of Rangers' own time in order, <laughs> in order to make an utterly pointless wee feint that he was going to block Foster's long punt and the ref blew his whistle and just gave him the free kick for it. Incredible decision-making. Foster, who incidentally... Looks off a young and gangly in this. It, it's weird to see him. He does, looking, aye, looking aye. so young. He looks a little bit like Screech from Saved by the Bell <laughs> back in. <laughs> well, pre sex tape. Yeah, but bef- before he grew into himself a wee bit and became quite a, <laughs> quite a, a distinguished looking guy, Fraser Foster, but he was a, he was a big uh, gangly mess back then. Uh, a particular highlight for me is uh, on the 93rd minute, more or less, was uh, Celtic trying to keep the ball in the corner. I love to see that. We saw we saw it recently <laughs> yeah. with Moussa Dembele, but this was absolutely terrific. They failed to show in the really big games before, but they've showed today. That's for sure. It is over. It is a colossal victory. This for Neil Lennon. Celtic triumph at the home of their Osofis rivals, Georgio Samaras. So often a villain of the piece. Most definitely the hero of the hour and a half today. He scored both goals, one from the penalty spot. And Rangers, who have come back a few times this season, just couldn't respond. Three points that will make such a difference in the race for the title. Rangers distraught, Celtic jubilant. You can be sure that the Celtic fans inside Ibrox today won't be leaving for a while. Scott Brown and Gary Hooper in amongst those fans. Neil Lennon unable to call on so many players today, but the ones who pulled on the shirt stood up and were counted. Big time. The new year honours in Glasgow go to Celtic. The New Year derby at Ibrox finishes Rangers nil, Celtic 2. Overall for me though, the, the best thing about this game was, and although the league never planned, panned out the way we wanted it, this was a rookie manager, Neil Lennon, going to Walter Smith's Rangers and giving them a, a ruddy good lesson, Stephen. <laughs> they did, yeah. And as, as we said earlier, Going against the tide here, because Celtic almost never won at Ibrox. They had never won the New Year's derby in a generation. It was 25 years by this point, at least. And it was a, a, a Rangers team that were... You know, they, they weren't the strongest Rangers team of all time, clearly looking at that staunch, lineup. But it, yeah, yeah, but it was pretty pretty damn staunch, and they were, they were <laughs> capable. Um, I just, I'd quite like to just 
point towards Samaras again because obviously this is this is his day. This is what um, we're, we're talking about really. But again, I know I've already said it, but I thought he was brilliant in this game. Like a, a real all round. It's something you wouldn't necessarily say. I know he was quite fancied in Europe back then as the lone striker, just to kind of take the ball down and run channels, which he was often, well, maybe not often, but sometimes good at. But I think it was a very good all-round, almost like a target man performance, mm. Samaras. It, it, yeah. and you're not, he's not getting bulleting headers into the top corner, but he's holding off his man and he's he's, he's running channels. There was even a time for another late chance where he, yeah. the, the ball went out for a corner, but the ref played on. So it was McGregor kind of scooped it back in play. It felt with Samaras and he just played on. Again, he just he goes past Weir, just absolutely skins him, drags it on the left foot and smashes it right across McGregor, who actually makes quite a smart save at it. But a, a constant danger and it was to prove his his peak in a Celtic shot. But but what a way to prove it. I mean, I know he was there for almost, was probably six, seven seasons, Samaras, incredibly. To Too, long, that, um, <laughs> <laughs> Too long, maybe. Too long, maybe. And again, I said it was an opportunity to maybe rethink what I thought of Samaras. I don't know if it's fully done that, but I do think, you know what, if that was your peak, if that was your main contribution to Celtic, it wasn't bad at all. And it was it was a shame the season played out the way it did, but it was an excellent performance from him. He also played well in the, the beating of Barcelona, the 2-1 game. He sort of played out in the left-hand side channel. Of course, did yeah, a job of course. There. He was decent in the European games, but... I he had a decent World Cup in 2010, I remember, in 2010, mm, Samaras yeah. had the decent decent reviews in the World Cup. Whenever I think of Samaras Sunday, uh, uh, in my head I'm always singing uh, Manic Monday, but I always just change it to Samaras Sunday, <laughs> being the weirdo <laughs> I am. Oh, speaking of music, speaking of songs, actually, did you hear that right at the full-time whistle, which actually, um, I've given Craig Thompson credit for his performance here, he actually blew for full-time with about five seconds left in the clock, which is... Again, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, but as soon as he blows the whistle, Ibrooks for some reason starts pumping it "Bad Romance" by Gaga. Oh, it's absolutely <laughs> as if they'd won. <laughs> Pump, yeah. uh, pumping at the speakers. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned the final whistle there, Stephen. Because one thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap up is the celebrations after this. Neil Lennon is on cloud nine with these celebrations. Yeah. Oh. He's fist pumping. He's got the arms in the air. He's hugging every day he goes up to Charlie McGrew and he says something like we fucking done it or something like that Neil Lennon has loved every single minute of this and, and do you know what he was doing of, there? what? bringing it on himself that's what he was doing um, he was bringing some hellfire upon himself with that yeah as we record this obviously Neil Lennon is the manager currently and I say that because Stephen these podcasts last forever so you might be listening to this in 20 years time and <laughs> yeah. wonder you need some context but Neil Lennon a often, good podcast is a good podcast forever that, that's us <laughs> Neil Lennon says you know I've relaxed I've calmed down now I'm a different manager and you're watching these celebrations and you think he's absolutely right because he because yeah. he has calmed down when Celtic scored when Samaras scored that second goal he's tapping his head and he's so he's so animated and ferocious in that touchline and it stirs <laughs> it stirs something in me that I really like but also I'm glad that he's calmed down a bit now oh yeah without a doubt I think we I, I remember saying that at the time when he came back in I just I've not got the heart for it anymore I can't it's like secondary stress I get from Neil Lennon but I don't get that anymore <laughs> I don't get that I don't get it at all and it's it's a relief because I, I don't know if I could have stomached the whole season of Neil Lennon giving me that secondhand stress. But he seems like a completely different person these days. It just shows you the, the big cliche is if you take that out of a certain, like a player or a manager, he's not the same person. 
That's not true. He's doing just as well as yeah. a perfectly calm manager than he ever was as a, a firebrand. And on that, we shall wrap up this classic match companion as voted for by our patrons. Um want to say thanks very much to you guys for listening. Thanks very much for sticking with us during this period. At the back of this, we're going to stick out another vote, see what you guys want us to do. You get to decide the podcast. This is a theme we're going to look to continue. A little bit of good versus evil, or maybe a defeat versus a victory, something for us to digest a wee bit. Um, but most of all, I just want to say thanks for listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.